Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. For months now, 2024 Republican presidential nominees have criticized what they called woke investing and made it a campaign issue. What they were attacking is called corporate environmental, social, and governance policies, also known as ESG investing. It's meant to help corporations integrate climate and social goals into their business plans. But now, many GOP politicians are actually abandoning it as a campaign issue that can help them reach the White House. So today, Politico's Jordan Wolman on why the GOP is no longer talking ESG. It's Friday, August 11th. So I think that the, the big thing here is that they're paying attention potentially to voters. I mean, vo- voters vote. That's who these candidates are courting. And voters have never really shown an appetite here for the kind of full-scale campaign that Republicans have waged against sustainable investing and how they made it into a campaign issue. Certainly that was true about the general election pool, but it's increasingly becoming clear even among Republican primary voters There are a couple of new data points that we can point to now, along with some anecdotes that we've picked up on that make that clear. 52% of GOP primary voters in a new New York Times survey said they're more likely to support a candidate who says that the government should stay out of deciding what corporations can support. And there was even a survey done last year from Penn State that found that actually more Republicans than Democrats said that they oppose government limits on ESG investing or sustainable investing. And even in Governor DeSantis's new economic plan that was recently rolled out, the topic of ESG and sustainable investing, or quote-unquote woke investing, was almost ignored altogether. This is the candidate who's made this almost the cornerstone of his whole candidacy. So you put it all together, and it's no secret why this topic is sort of gaining less and less traction on the campaign trail. Interesting. And you're also seeing signs of resistance to the GOP's anti-ESG campaign at the state level as well. So what have you seen there? Even though, of course, the presidential race may be more sort of splashy, this whole crusade against sustainable investment has been state-led all along. So in some ways, it's even more important and significant that there are signs of resistance at the state level, because that's where this whole thing sprung up to begin with. So we've seen in some really deep red states like North Dakota and Mississippi, some of the most dramatic or extreme anti-ESG proposals have been watered down or killed altogether. And it's become clear that state-level bankers groups, chapters of the American Bankers Association, have been especially effective at pushing back against these attempts. These are longtime allies of the Republican Party. They have deep-rooted relationships and wield influence at the state level. We're seeing that really come to the fore. Even at a group like the American Legislative Exchange Council, which is a group of conservative lawmakers that passes model policy, which Republican lawmakers often prioritize back home in their state legislatures, they haven't even endorsed a key bill that would bar states from doing businesses with firms that do ESG investing and promote ESG principles. That measure hasn't even twice now has been rejected by ALEC lawmakers. Just at the end of last month, the group chose not to take it up to consider it as model policy. So it's clear now that this movement, it's not ending, but it's certainly hitting its roadblocks. 
Got it. And to be sure, though, this issue isn't dead or close to it. We saw House Republicans just had their ESG month in July by passing a package of legislation, even though that legislation was very much messaging and won't go anywhere in the Senate. But what's been the impact of this push so far on private sector behavior? You know, how much traction is the anti-ESG movement actually getting? So anti-ESG advocates love to claim victory over almost anything. And so, you know, I want to be careful not to tie some of these examples directly to the politics, but it also can't be ignored. You know, Larry Fink, who is the CEO of BlackRock, which is a firm that's been under maybe the most intense fire from the anti-ESG campaign, said recently that he's going to stop using the term ESG in his vocabulary because it's been so politicized. Just the other day, SNP announced that it would stop doing ESG debt ratings. Vanguard left the net zero asset managers group and a number of insurers have left the net zero insurance alliance, seemingly all getting swept up in this anti-ESG wave. I think it's fair to say that companies don't like getting hauled in front of committees or getting letters from angry attorneys general complaining about their quote unquote wokeism or their track to the left. And so that stuff in its entirety does play a role in how these companies think and you know, in the political climate that they operate in. They're there to serve their clients, and their clients probably don't want to be in the spotlight for allegedly becoming too far radical left. So it does have an impact in the private sector, even if, as you mentioned, some of the actual policy measures aren't likely to take effect. Also, on Thursday, the Treasury Department issued final regulations for the bonus tax incentives under Democrats' climate law intended to expand renewable energy investments to low-income communities. The rules provide new details on the program's application process and will allow the department to make awards to projects earlier than anticipated. They also mark the first completed regulations from Treasury as part of its implementation of the Inflation Reduction Act. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power dash switch. And subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Brainmaster Cylinder. Nirma Malaykul is the podcast producer. Alex Keeney and Annie Reese edited the podcast this week. Our editors are Matt Daly and Gloria Gonzalez. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back on Monday. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron knows developing and deploying carbon capture and storage is a critical step in helping make progress towards global net zero, which is why we're targeting 25 million tons of CO2 per year in storage and offsets by the end of the decade. That's energy in progress. Visit chevron.com carbon capture.